Greetings, friends, to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. We are now in lesson 27. And uh, from uh, at this point on, we're going to start a new series, which is related to this whole subject of teaching the law. And that is basically about the identity of the church, that is the church from the point of view of God, and the question that uh, we would be answering here in a very thorough manner going through the entirety of the Bible, because it is extremely relevant, the question would be, what and who are the church? The church that is of God, and not the church of men. And so we're going to go from Genesis until Revelation, for the simple reason there has been an awful lot of confusion, an awful lot of misinformation, uh, partly truth, and mixture of uh, fictitious information, and all of us have been affected by it to one degree or the other, and there is no other way of uh, really clarifying everything, removing the dust, and seeing everything from not men's point of view, but from God's point of view. And so, let's continue from where we stopped last time, then we shall enter uh, at a certain point naturally into this subject. We are now in uh, Genesis 11. Remember, we finished uh, Genesis 11 last time with a genealogy that uh, was uh, given previously. And we're going to begin with the family of Abraham, and then we'll delve into this subject uh, that we have ahead of us. It may take uh, several lessons, I don't know exactly how many, but we're going to do it very, very thoroughly in a way that will leave absolutely no doubt in the mind of anyone. And the main thing is that we're going to do is to present it not from men's point of view, men's opinion or ideas and concepts or mixture of truth and error, but from the mouth and the mind and the emotions and the feelings and the mind of God himself. And so in Genesis chapter 11, at the end of the, the chapter, we're beginning to read about the family of Abraham. We're getting closer to uh, the birth of Abraham. Let's begin from... Uh, Verse 26 of chapter 11, Now Terah lived 70 years and begot Abram, Nehor, and Haram. And as we explained uh, earlier, uh, he was not 70 years when Abram was born. This is just uh, a way uh, the, the scriptures uh, is written, where you get the impression that the three of them were born the same year. Actually, Abram, at this point still Abram, later on Abraham, was born one hundred and in other words, when uh, Terah was actually 130 years, which means that at 70 he begot the firstborn, which was uh, Haran, I believe, or maybe Nahor, we don't know exactly. Uh, but uh, we know that Abram was born actually 60 years later, and that is very simple to find out. And then uh, we shall see it as we get a little bit further. But that was already explained earlier, as I mentioned. In verse 27, this is the genealogy of Terah. Now, it's interesting that up to now you are just giving the name of the father and then the one that he begot, but now God is beginning a special section where with Terah he begins a sentence that generally is reserved only to the beginner of either a patriarchal dynasty or the beginning of men or the beginning of... Uh, of uh, the second Adam, as you read in the book of Luke, this is the genealogy of uh, Jesus Christ, 
in Genesis 1, you read about this is the genealogy of, uh, of the heaven and the earth, that is in chapter 2 actually of Genesis, and uh, then uh, with the beginning of uh, the story of man, you read about this is the genealogy of man and so forth, well here God specifically for a good reason, which we're going to see more and more why he began this paragraph with this statement. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begot Lot. And again, as I mentioned earlier, when God mentions somebody uh, in specific that seems to be out of context, it's because he has something in mind that later on is going to reveal to us. As we read earlier about, uh, about Ham. And last uh, lesson, Ham being the father of Canaan. And the question is, why, why is it mentioned? Well, later on we find out the story. And so it is the same thing here. Lot is introduced because he has a part in what God is going to do from now on. And so, we begin now, in essence, a sort of a new era. A new epoch. A new dynasty. And so it begins with Terah, the father of Abram. And Nehor and Haran. And uh, verse 28, and Haran died before his father. So Haran may have been the firstborn, we don't know. He may be the second, but he may be also the first one. Maybe that's why he died. Uh, but, you know, that's it, just a speculation. But he died before his father, Terah, in his native land, in Ur of the Chaldeans. Now you're going to find out something very interesting here, especially the people that had been taught uh, all their lives for centuries, uh, totally different story about the beginning of Abraham before God called him out of Babylon. And I'm talking specific, uh, specific about the Jewish community, uh, because some of them I know are listening. And then in verse 29 we read, Then Abraham and Nehor took wives. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nehor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. In other words, what you find here, we're still not far removed from Adam and Eve, and the fact that during that time, uh, it was pretty common to marry a sister, and uh, of course, uh, to marry a niece, or half a sister, or aunt, or so forth. Uh, that was still common in those days, until gradually God says no more. From now on, it's going to be an immoral thing. Immoral means, when God says you don't do it, it becomes immoral. Uh, it doesn't mean that uh, if you, if you uh, meet uh, the children of Adam and they are married uh, to their sisters, that you tell them you're immoral people. And all it means is, when God says, don't do it anymore, at that point, he makes it a moral issue. And later on, with the children of Israel, he made it very specific. What can be done, what cannot, and what they did, which God says should not be done, became immoral. Uh, unlawful and a transgression. At this point, Abraham is marrying half his sister. In other words, she was the daughter of his father, but not the daughter of his mother. So it's half-sister, but nevertheless a sister. So the father of the faithful is married to his sister. And this is where all of us come from. And uh, later on, you, you remember the story, if you don't know uh, in detail, when Judah, the son of Jacob, uh, married a woman, she died, and then his son, uh, one of his sons had a wife, her name was Tamar, which was a, the daughter-in-law of uh, Judah, but you know how the story ended up, he had two children from her, not in his case, 
not knowing at all that she was his daughter-in-law because she pretended to be a, a different person. And so all the people who are called today the Jews come from the daughter-in-law of their father, Judah. Uh, things were different in those days. Anyway, uh, here we have uh, Nahor, who is marrying his niece because she was the daughter of his brother, and Abram marrying his half-sister. In verse 30, but Sarai was barren. She had no child. And that was intentional, obviously, on the part of God, because he was going to do something special with this person and had nothing to do with the fact that he married his sister. It was totally unrelated. Uh, in other words, you should never think with your own morals of the day and our own concepts and our own cultural biases and prejudices and whatever it may be and apply it to other ages to other times. We should never do that because we totally get mixed up that when we think we are right and we condemn the others. And they would have done the same thing to us. So let's read it for what it says and understand it from the point of view of God and not of men. And this is what we see here. Sarai, at this point she is called Sarai, and Sarai means my princess. And uh, later on she was just called princess, Sarah. And uh, she had no child. And, the, and Terah took his son. Now, here we're, be going, we're going to see something very interesting because most people are not even aware of that. And that is very, very uh, interesting for us to understand because we're going to begin a totally new story. In verse 31 we read, And Terah, that is the father of Abram, took his son, Abram, and hid his grandson, Lot, See, so Lot is mentioned again here, and so you see why it was mentioned earlier. So he took his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, because remember Haran died, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, which was actually also his daughter, not only his daughter-in-law, but she was also his daughter from another woman, and not from the mother of Abraham. And now she was his, son's, his son Abraham's wife. And they went out with them from all of the Chaldeans, and notice that, to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. Now why would Terah take all of his family, and I'm sure there were hundreds and hundreds of people, because we are talking only about uh, his son and uh, the other son and a few more, but that's talking about wives and talking about other children, talking about servants and talking about uh, maybe other relatives that joined them. In essence, of all things, out of the blue, so to speak, he's uprooting himself and his whole family, at least many of them, and all of his entourage and all of his possessions, and he's going of all places to the land of Canaan. Now, that doesn't make sense at all unless you understand that there is an awful lot behind the scene that God did not, did not choose to record at this point. And so it's very important to understand and to realize that when you read into the Bible, don't gloss over seemingly minor details. Most people have done that, and I, growing up myself as an Orthodox in the Jewish community, I know that most of the, of the Jews, even though they read the Bible, they generally totally overlook that and don't have much explanation unless you go into special uh, research 
and find out about it, Josephus and other sources and later on rabbis that uh, delve into that and wrote about it. But the average person generally does not even think about it, just reads over, over that part and does not even realize what's really happening here. A major, major upheaval in one sense is happening here and a major event and something that was going to change the entirety of the whole world history and religion for not only for the coming many, many years or centuries or millenniums, but for eternity. And something very, very important was happening here. Very, very ominous in one sense, you might say. Not in the wrong way, but in the right way. But what we see here, and we're going to have a little background here and an overview, overview of, uh, of the subject before we delve into the into the whole story in the, this series of the who and what is the church of God that is in God's own words. As I mentioned earlier in Jewish writings, in uh, the Midrash, as they call it, uh, there are lots of stories about Abraham and how he came to be the father of the faithful. That is how he came to believe in God, in one God. And the concept, basically, that is there, and obviously people that sat down and thought about it and without knowledge and began to invent stories that were basically fables, that had absolutely no basis in reality, no truth, there was no context there, there was no background, there was no research, and there was no knowledge there, unfortunately, and many just take it for granted, and so you find it in all those children's book about Abraham, who supposedly was born in a house that was a house of idolatry where his father supposedly had a store and was selling all kinds of idols and one day he dawned on Abraham that there is something wrong with all that and he took one big stick or something like that uh, and then smashed all the idols and uh, then when his father came at least that's if I remember the story correctly he, he asked him what happened to Abraham and Abraham told him well uh, all these gods were having a war and having a little fight and uh, they started smashing each other and this god, uh, you know, smashed this one and this one smashed that one pretty soon everything was gone and his, fa- his father, uh, you know, didn't rebuke him he thought that was very cute because uh, deep down in, in his own heart he realized that uh, all this is just uh, uh, unreal anyway just uh, for commerce or making money or whatever it may be and did not really believe in it Anyway, those are extremely foolish things. And to, uh, to uh, transfer that to your children as if that is the truth, and that's the beginning of the father of the faith, that's uh, a horrible, that's a gross, gross uh, misconception and injustice to truth and to facts and to reality. Now, the reality is that there were righteous men, and knowledge was being passed on, from generation to generation, from man to son, to, from father to son, who themselves happen to be living for all, for many of them anyway, for almost a millennium. And these are the righteous men who pass on information from uh, father to son, and it reached, in one line at least, one family of men, it reached Abraham. And so his father was not raised in ignorance. That's why this genealogy that is being passed on, to show not only genealogy in terms of who begot who, but also the line of the righteous man who preserved the knowledge of God and passed it on from father to son throughout their family, while the majority of humanity did not do it. 
And then when the flood came, destroyed everybody else, and now Noah was going to begin all over again. Remember, Noah was a very, very righteous man. And he told his children, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Shem apparently became much more faithful, at least a part of Shem, because as time went by, even most of the, the children of Shem departed from the faith. But at least they retained an awful lot of knowledge and understanding. And one uh, line in particular maintained that. That's why they are being recorded for that reason in the Bible. Uh, this genealogy that we see here that leads to Terah, the father of Abram. And so Abram was born in a home that knew God, that worshipped God, that had the knowledge of God, that knew the commandments of God. And it was not that fable and that silly story that people come up with because they do not know the right from their left. Anyway, and so there is an awful lot behind the story. Why would Terah, the father of Abram, of all things, want to totally uproot out of the land of Babylon where everything was there? It was the glory of the nations at the time, much more glorious uh, than uh, Egypt. And then Egypt became a very glorious nation her herself as it developed. But Babylon was the wonder of the whole world at the time. Uh, it was the center. This is where it all began when Noah descended and his children into that area. That's where Babylon, later on, uh, that is the city of Babylon and the Tower of Babel before that. It was a holy city, a city of knowledge, of uh, of uh, science, of understanding and all that. Why would a man want to totally uproot himself and his whole family and of all places go to the land of Canaan? Far away. Obviously, there is an awful lie behind the scene. Because these were people of God, the new God, and God communicated with them, and there was much happening behind the scene, and so Terah felt, we don't know exactly the details, but he's not going to wake up one morning and says, well, I'd like to uh, totally leave the... Uh, uh, this land, uh, just like today, you know, you, you wake up one day and you say, well, I'd like to totally forsake everything that I have and take everybody from this land, let's say the United States, and go to a little town in Siberia. Yeah, that wouldn't make sense unless you were insane. Well, obviously, Terra was not insane. There was something there that was happening behind the scene. And as we go on, we're going to find out something very momentous that is happening here. Terra knew that God wanted to do something with his family. He knew something about the land of Canaan. He knew something about the land of promise. He knew quite a lot. And this is what caused him to do that. And yet God really did not want Terah himself. He wanted Abram. But he, made he had communicated with Abram, and Abram communicated with his father about this, and Terah probably said, well, let's all go. Because they were righteous men. They were righteous people, and they were obedient to God. They were men that feared God. And, of course, there was also influence, uh, to a degree, of uh, the Babylonian uh, religion around them. And so, it says that he left Ur of the Chaldeans, in verse 31, to go to the land of Canaan, and they came to Haran and dwelt there. In other words, they traveled from Ur of the Chaldean, which is roughly today uh, around the city uh, that is closer to the Persian Gulf, uh, there is a major city there called uh, Bosra. Later on we'll uh, get more details about it. And he was mainly that, in that area, in that territory. And he traveled all the way up toward what is called today Syria. That is northern part of it. And there he, for whatever reason, all, all we know is that God, as we can see from the stories it develops and unfolds, that God did not really want him to continue beyond that point. So God made sure that he stays there, and all of his family. 
with the exception of Abraham and Lot. And so he called the place Haran after his son. And that's why it says he came to Haran and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. And that was the place that God said, you're going to this point and no more. I really don't want you to go to the land of Canaan. And uh, I mean, we don't know what was going on behind the scenes, how much talking God was doing there, and what was happening there. But we know that a lot of things were happening behind the scenes that are not being recorded here and for uh, reason, reasons known to God. But we know that he gives us enough information here and there, down the road, to know that what he wanted to do did not include other people, but Abram himself, not even Lot. Even though he allowed him to take uh, Lot with him, who was his nephew, and then since Abram didn't have children, and uh, the father of uh, Lot died, that was the brother of Abram, so uh, you find here Abram, in essence, adopting uh, his uh, nephew, Lot as his own son, which would be extremely natural to do. And so he came with him. And then we read in verse, in chapter 12, verse 1, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now you begin to see why this beginning or a new chapter in men's history, so to speak, that began with chapter 11 verse 27 where it says, This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram. And Abram is mentioned first, though he was born 60 years later. And uh, as you begin to read, you see more and more and more what was happening here. Awesome and mighty events are ahead of us. And so at this point, I think it would be natural to, uh, to get into this subject that we want to talk about. Extremely important subject because that confusion that was in the land that was called the land of confusion, Babylon, Babel, from the Tower of Babel, that means to confuse. And God was going to begin a new genealogy, a new race. In essence, you might say, the, 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 a new Adam. And through this Adam, he was going to beget many children. Because all the children of the earth were finally going to be the sons, not of Adam, but the sons of Abraham. The father of the faithful of all mankind. And so you see an awful lot of uh, important things are happening here. And every tiny little detail is extremely important. And is hiding an awful lot of knowledge and understanding and background behind it. And... We're going to begin now with the subject of the church by giving us, by first uh, having a sort of a, a general overview and a background, and then we'll delve into the subject itself. In Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 20, God is saying to his people, now that's way down the road in the days of Isaiah. He says, come out of Babylon. He's speaking to his people. Come out of Babylon. And what is he talking about? In Revelation Chapter 18 and verse 4, the same statement is being repeated to the people of God. Well, God says, come out of Babylon that you may not be partakers of her plagues. In other words, if you remain a part of Babylon, and it's not speaking about physically only being in Babylon, uh, you're going to be 
also accountable for her actions because things will rub off on you. You're going to participate in uh, the way things are all around you and you will be suffering just like everybody else unless you come out of Babylon and ultimately you're going to have to come out of Babylon even physically. And in essence, we see a story here that is happening. Now, it's time when by, let's say, in specific in the last 2,000 years since our subject is the true church of God, from the point of view of God himself, not man, and it has no mixture of truth and error, just purity of truth, yet man in the past 2,000 years, writing about the church, basically this were human authors, of, and they wrote many books about church history, the man wrote, as a matter of fact, thousands of books about church history, and lots of good material in it, lots of good information, and also an awful lot of misinformation in it, because basically, the overwhelming majority of it came out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Other parts were just uh, giving certain information that really happened, those were facts, but there's a problem, unfortunately, with every single one book or article or whatever that was written about the identity and the history of the true church. All of them were based on a false premise concerning the identity of the true church and the people of God. That is from God's point of view. Not just partially from God's point of view, but totally in every way from God's point of view. And in this series, as I mentioned, of the teaching of the law, we are going to take, in essence, a 7,000 year journey into the mind of God, into the ultimate head of the true church. And let him in his own words and feelings and thoughts reveal to us who and what constitute the true church, that is, the true people of God. Now, Babylon, as we began to read, was the birthplace, in essence, you might say, of two churches. One was a true and one was a fallen one, a counterfeit one. In other words, from Adam and Eve came knowledge and understanding. So one line became the righteous line, like Abel, and after that Seth, and those who came after him, and so their genealogy is mentioned all the way down to Abraham. And then the other line was Cain. So in essence, you see from the beginning, from the Garden of Eden, uh, and after that, actually, uh, a beginning of two ways of life, the children of light and the children of darkness. And in that sense, you might say two churches, true church and the fallen one. And all of them began right. All of them began right, like King Saul. He began right, like many of the people of God. They began right. And then they fell by the way. And that's how they fall into confusion. And so we have these two lines. And Babylon, since the world was destroyed, and then Noah and his family descended on that territory, uh, there all over again, the, the same reality happened all over again. That is, uh, creation, in one sense, you might see other two churches. One true, yet very small, very small, only a hardcore of a few believers. And yet they carry on the truth from generation to generation. And then the overwhelming majority that become the big church, a counterfeit one, a fallen one, that take a measure of knowledge and understanding and then inject into it because of the God that they have, that is their own kind of a God, the, the one that became uh, known as Satan, the God of this world, as later on will be called in, uh, by the writings of the disciples of Christ. And they were the majority of them. 
And so the true one was made of the righteous man from righteous Abel. And then the patriarchs that followed him, that are mentioned in the Bible, many of them lived up to a thousand years almost. And, and then uh, up to Noah. And Noah, being righteous, and his family also will be righteous. In other words, all know the way of God and serve God and worship God. And then gradually, you know, there is a breakdown even in that family, as we can see shortly after. And then there are other men who are also being recorded after Shem and his descendants, all the way to Abraham. And, or oh, Abraham later on, the father of the faithful. And so all of them are living in Babylon. A small portion, a little flock, first fruit in one sense, little group. That's the true church of God. The true body of believers. And the faithful ones. And then the rest are of a different nature. And so, this is what we see here. And this man and women of faith continued after generation, and they became known as the whole famers, the men of faith that later on were to be recorded in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. And these people did know from the beginning of times, knowledge was being given to them by God himself directly in person in the beginning. And then as he spoke to many of them as time went by. In other words, God did not forsake his people, at least a few of them that walked with him from the Garden of Eden to the day of Abraham and to this very day. He still continued to deal with this very small, minute portion of people. Not many, only very few. And the majority are in the other category of the fallen church, which includes not only one religion, but all the religions of the fa on the face of the earth. They're all grouped into this one called Babylon. And then they have all kind of, all, you know, many offshoots that come from the main one. But they're all basically more or less in the wrong, uh, in the wrong uh, direction. Going in the wrong direction, away from God and not toward God, and with their own inventions of knowledge and understanding and, and uh, laws and so forth, and gods and deities and doctrines. And so, the true people of God, the true church, we shall call them, knew the territory of that church and the city of that God. And so, that's why you find out Terah, knowing that this is where God is going to do his work in the land of Canaan, he's headed in that direction. You see, knowledge was already there. They were not men of ignorance, but men of much knowledge and understanding. Much, much more than people may realize. And they knew the territory, and they knew the city of God. And as we read in the book of Hebrews, they knew far beyond just the city of God on earth, but the city to come. And this is what they were live, were, you know, live their life for. For the future. For the eternal city. For the city that was made by God himself and not by men but beginning with a physical city on this earth, that they knew God is going to choose that city to carry on his work until the time when the eternal city comes down and dwells in the same place, a name called Jerusalem. So they all knew the teachings, the true teachings of God, that is the teachings of his, his Torah, which basically means the, the teachings, they knew the code of law, and they knew an awful lot of things, while the others had bits and pieces of good information of the tree of the knowledge of good and also of evil in it. And that's why they are the counterfeit church 
And that's why they are the fallen church, and that's why they are the Babylon, that is confusion. And confusion began with order, that when people depart from God, they end up with confusion. And so the other church was called spiritually Babylon. It was a counterfeit church. It had its own law, its own Torah. At the time, those who study history know that in Babylon there was a Torah, that is a body of teachings, code of law, that was called the Code of Hammurabi. Now, Hammurabi was not a totally ignorant person. Remember, we're talking about an age where Shem was still alive. Shem was still alive when Abraham was around. And so there was a knowledge of the true God, a knowledge of the true teachings of God. And there was still knowledge in Babylon, much knowledge, much more than people may realize, of the teachings of God. It was not an, uh, a people, an, an area that was totally void of truth. That's not the way it works. Satan never works only in an area where there is total ignorance. No, he likes to appear as an angel of righteousness, an angel of light. And the ministers of Satan, generally speaking, those who go in his direction, the priest of Baal, the priest of any other god, they have a lot of knowledge and a lot of truth. And that's why people are confused by that. And they think, well, every religion has truth in it. That's true. That's the way Satan works. He's not going to deceive us with total ignorance. But he allows an awful lot of truth to penetrate into the hearts of men. And all he does is just injects into it some poison. And this is what kills people. And so this fallen church, which was the overwhelming majority of people, it had its own law, its own Torah, that was called the Code of Hammurabi, a mixture of truth and error that came from the true, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It had its own line of spiritual patriarchs, and some of them were recorded from Cain, not righteous Cain, but unrighteous Cain, but still, even Cain himself knew God, spoke to God, and had knowledge of God, yet he did not necessarily forsake totally the knowledge of God. Yet, he, you know, he walked in his own ways, that's true, but an awful lot of wicked people around had still a lot of righteousness in them, and also evil with it. And God wanted his own people to totally eradicate the evil and remain only with the good, and add more good to it. And so this false church, counterfeit church, and you know what is a counterfeit? When you take a dollar bill, a counterfeit dollar bill is not one that looks, uh, let's say, pink or uh, yellow. Nobody's going to fall for it, you see. It's going to look almost exactly as the real one, and only the experts can tell you the difference. And most people are not experts in matters of religion. That's why they're all falling for all kinds of false religions especially when they see a lot of good things in them. And so it's very important to understand what a counterfeit is. And so this counterfeit church was a mixture of truth and error, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It had its own line of spiritual patriarchs. It had its own teachings about the Christ that is the Savior of men, because that knowledge was given from the beginning of time. They had the knowledge about the Mother of God, where a child is going to be born of a woman who is going to be a son of God, they had their own knowledge about the crucified Savior, about the risen Savior. Some people don't realize there have been at least about 12 to 16, that is, Jesus Christ, you might say, or, or Savior, anointed Savior in history. In Babylon, they had their concepts of that. And then as this religion traveled to other nations, like Egypt and other places, they had the same knowledge with different names. But it's all the same thing. Yeah, the knowledge of what is called the mother of God, a child, crucified savior, reason savior, the concept of the trinity, 
That was nothing new when it came uh, later on to the church that called itself Christianity. And they had their own territory in the city. First it was Babylon, which, called, which was regarded as a holy city. Babylon was a holy city, like Jerusalem. And even the Assyrian Empire, where they conquered Babylon, they still considered Babylon a holy city and had special treatment of all the inhabitants of the city and, and, and thought it a great honor to be a, a citizen and a resident of that city. It was considered a holy city. That was the holy city of a religion or the, or the counterfeit church. And later on, that holy city, as we read down the road in history, was transferred to Rome with the same religion and different names, you see, with the different concepts. And so, this is what we are reading, in essence, the beginning of it, in Genesis chapter 11, verse 31, where Terah takes his son, Abram, and his grandson, Lot, the son of Haran, out of this land of Babylon, out of the, the area of the holy city of Babylon, of the religion that is a counterfeit religion, and he being a man of the true religion, and communicating with God, at least to a point. And Abram, obviously, had knowledge of God, and we're going to see more of that, and then, in chapter 12 and verse 1, God makes it very plain. Yes, uh, he likes uh, Terah, he, he, he likes the family of Abraham and all that, they're righteous people, but he has something in mind that he does not want uh, this family to be a part of. He just wants one man. One man that was according to his own heart in apparently more ways than Terah, his father, was, or others. Uh, God only knows why he does what he does. After all, Noah was a very, very righteous man. And yet God did not start a new genealogy with Noah. He did not start a new, a new phase in life in that sense, uh, the spiritual phase. He could have started with Noah instead of Abraham being the father of the faithful. But he waited until Abraham came on the scene for reasons known to him. And it is with Abraham that he was going to start something that is going to continue forever and for eternity. And ironically, all those who came before Abraham will become his sons, including his own father. They're all going to be sons of the faithful. Father Abraham, the father of the faithful. And all people on the face of the earth, before and after Abraham, will become his sons, spiritually speaking. This is what was on the mind of God. So God himself, the one that became known later on as the father, was going to begin something very, very unique here and very special. And this is what we read here. Now, uh, let's read something that is very interesting in the book of Acts. We have a background there about what happened here. At least a little bit of it. Or what was happening. And remember the story of Stephen when he was taken before the council because uh, the Sanhedrin and the council and the priests and, uh, and the Sadducees, you know, they did not like what he was teaching about Christ, his faith. Uh, they did not uh, consider that as a, as a heresy. They just uh, didn't believe uh, in Christ. That is, speaking by the minority of them, the majority did believe in Christ in the days of Christ. They followed him. But the mi minority, that is in politics, who wanted power to themselves, they were not about to hand over, uh, the way they thought it was going to be done, uh, power to somebody else. They wanted it for themselves. And even many among them believed. But it was more a matter of politics than a matter of faith or religion. And so when Stephen appears before the high priest, uh, and with all the accusations they, they threw at him, which were false accusations, that he was uh, speaking blasphemous things against the holy place, that is the temple, and against the law, and against Moses, and all that, which he wasn't. 
And so the high priest is asking him, are these things, very chapter 7 and verse 1, and the high priest said, are these things so? And he said, that is Stephen, brethren and fathers. You see, still part of the nation, he's not denying them. They're still his own. He says, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. So, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, where we read, Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show to you, and I will make you a great nation. This is not happening after his father died. This is happening first, while his father is still in Ur the Chaldean, in Mesopotamia. Now I understand why Terah wants to uproot himself, his whole family, and go to the land of Canaan, because he too was a servant of God. And he thought that calling is for all of them. And yet God had only Abraham in mind. And so, this is what he tells him in verse 3. And said to him, get out of your country. We're back to the uh, book of Acts, chapter 7, verse 3. And he said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives. And come to a land that I will show you. And then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haram. You see? This is where he was told, as we read in chapter 12, and that was not in Haran where he told him that. That was while he was still in Chaldea. And that's why the whole family was being uprooted from that place. They thought that calling is for all of them. And God said, yes, the calling is for Abraham. And as for you, I want you also to get out of this place, but you are going to go only as far as Haran, which is not too far from the land and away from the territory of Babylon and the territory of the, of the city itself, and that place that was totally in idolatry. For that matter, the whole region by that time became more and more idolatrous. But at least as they went to Haran, it was more of a, a not necessarily wilderness area, but wilderness in the sense there weren't many people around. That's why he was able to establish a city there and call it by the name of his own son. So at least he brought that whole family out of total idolatry, but only Abraham, or Abraham later on, he wanted to come into the land of Canaan. And so you see the background as you go through the Bible of things that you read uh, earlier. In other words, uh, as I've mentioned many times, if you want to know the meaning for whatever you read, first get a background, read the context, search, then you'll find out. Many people get confused when they just look at something and say, aha, this is what it means. And God does not write his word in that way. He writes it, remember, it's only for the wise not for the fools. And the wise are the ones that search very deeply and fear God and obey God and don't fabricate their own information. And yet this is what the fallen church had done and all those who follow in, the, in her footsteps. And so he tells him, you get out of that land. And verse 4, then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. Because that's where his father took him to. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved to, his, to this land in which you now dwell. And this is what, what he tells his people uh, at the time, Stephen, the people of Judah, who uh, knew all that information. In chapter 7, you can read that, very interesting chapter, an awful lot of information. He basically tells them uh, the, the history of the whole nation from Abraham from the beginning. In other words, he's giving them the purpose of what it is all about that he believes now. And 
many of them got it, and uh, others did not. And those who did uh, understood and comprehended, and therefore they did not reject Christ. All the others did, because they did not understand and rejected what they did understand. And so, you have the background here that is unfolding as time goes by to the story. So, in essence, God was doing here a separation of the two churches. Just like he tells us, just like he told the people in the days of Isaiah, just like he told them constantly, come out of the world, come out of Babylon, come out of Egypt. And he repeated that many times. And he tells us also, likewise, come out of Babylon, spiritual Babylon, physical Babylon. In other words, those things which are wrong in, in Babylon. Nothing. He's not talking about uh, uh, a land or a job or things like that or where you live. But being a part of the system and, and taking on the same nature of the system. And uh, in this case, there was a need finally to totally come out of it physically also. As there was a need to totally come out of Egypt also. So God can do his work that he had in mind for Israel. And now it is Abraham, the father through whom he was going to begin a new race, so to speak, a new people, a new history is beginning here in the sense of a nation and later on the entirety of the world through Father Abraham. And so God is making a separation of the two churches, which is happening in two stages. First he leaves Babylon, and he goes with his, all, all of his family, that is Abraham's father is the one actually initiating that, because he's the one that is taking the whole family and says, well, let's go to Canaan. You know, one wants to hear what God, ha God has in mind. And so he comes to Haran, and he stays there, and God makes sure that he stays there. Uh, obviously, there is an awful lot of information behind the scene there we are not fully aware of, but it's there. We know that it is there. And so he stays in Haran. But the second stage is when his father dies. Now uh, God is speaking to Abraham again, tells him again what he told him in Ur of the Chaldean. And how long he was there in Haran, we don't know. All we do know is that God didn't want the rest of the family there. And since we are at the end of the tape, I'll say again, greetings to all of God's people. This is Mordecai Joseph. Until next time. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions. The Bible has answers.